Throughout the course of this month, our focus will be on the Gospel of Luke. When you read the first few verses of the book, you find that Luke was focused on providing certainty about the life and the ministry of Jesus. His book begins, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Luke wanted Theophilus to be sure. He wanted him to know without question. He wanted him to know without doubt about the reality of a man named Jesus who was much more than a man. The one who was and who is the Christ, the Son of God. As you read Luke throughout the course of this month, you will notice that he emphasizes the universal reach of Jesus' ministry. He wants his audience to know that Jesus did not just come for one sort of individual, but that Jesus came to die for all men. The gospel is for all And so there are unique aspects found throughout the course of Luke that show us about the scope of the gospel. Luke, for example, talks about Jesus' dealings with the Samaritans. The beautiful parable of the Good Samaritan illustrates Jesus' interest, showing that the Samaritans are indeed our neighbors. The Gospel of Luke also emphasizes Jesus' dealings with the Gentiles. Luke's the only one who records the parable of the healing of the ten lepers. And you might remember that the only one who came back to thank Jesus was not a Jew, but a Gentile. Luke's Gospel focuses upon Jesus' teachings to the poor. Jesus says in Luke 6 and verse 20, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Luke emphasizes the ministry that Jesus has among women who were often outcasts in that first century society. As a matter of fact, it's in Luke and Luke alone that we read about Jesus going to the house of Mary and Martha and Mary sitting at his feet and listening and choosing the good part. And Luke provides a special emphasis upon the role of tax collectors, individuals who were also considered to be traitors to many of the Jews, and yet Luke talks about Jesus' dealings with a man named Zacchaeus, a man to whom Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so the book stresses the universal nature of the gospel. The gospel is for all. It is not just for the Jew, it is for the Gentile. It is not just for the male, it is for the female. It is not just for the righteous, it is for the sinner. And the book stresses Jesus' position 
a Savior. Even when Jesus was announced in Luke chapter 2 to the shepherds in the field, the angel said of him this, Luke 2 and verse 9, The angel stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's what Jesus said when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And so when you read the gospel of Luke, you are reading a gospel that is intended for every single person. It is a gospel that is intended to exalt Jesus above all others. And as we'll notice in our time this morning, it is a gospel that highlights the mission and the purpose of Jesus. And so as we study Luke, we will learn to listen to what our Lord has to say. And this morning in particular, we will learn to listen to him about his mission. Perhaps as much as any other book in Scripture, Luke's gospel account focuses on Jesus' purpose. Why he came to this earth. It reveals to us, for example, that Jesus was very well aware of this purpose even early on in his life. In Luke chapter 2, for example, beginning in verse 46, we read of the account where Jesus had stayed behind Joseph and Mary in Jerusalem. And in verse 46, the text says it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At the age of 12, Jesus understood his purpose. He had business to take care of. That same idea is highlighted in a passage that we've already mentioned, Luke 19, verse 10. Speaking to Zacchaeus, he told him, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Not because individuals failed to need him, but because individuals desperately needed him to provide salvation for those who so desperately need it. And then, of course, near the very end of his physical life, prior to ascending even into the heavens, Jesus spoke to his apostles, and he very firmly proclaimed, Luke 24 and verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What's the mission? Jesus' mission was to come to this earth and die. 
Jesus' mission was to defeat death. Jesus' mission was so that individuals could be brought to salvation through repentance and remission of sins which comes through contacting His blood. Jesus' mission demanded His death. Jesus' mission required His resurrection. And Jesus' mission makes it possible for all of us to be saved. That's what Luke's Gospel focuses upon. It is a gospel for all. It is the gospel of Jesus who is the Savior. It is a gospel that announces His purpose and announces His mission. The passage that we're going to focus primarily upon this morning is a passage that stresses the mission of Jesus. And importantly, it's a passage that also goes back to the Old Testament, showing that Jesus did indeed fulfill what was written of him. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 16. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. The text says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Just a bit of background about what's taking place in this passage might be helpful. This is a snapshot of the synagogue worship on the Sabbath day. The Jews in various locations had synagogues to which they would go and a pattern of worship that they normally would follow. We understand that the typical synagogue service would involve several elements. The congregation or group that had gathered together would begin with a recitation of what they referred to as the Shema, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The Lord our God, the Lord He is one. They would continue with a series of prayers, which would eventually be followed by a particular reading from a section of the law. And so someone would stand, and they would read a portion of the law of Moses, something from Genesis through Deuteronomy primarily. And then following that particular reading, there would also be a reading from the section of the Old Testament Scriptures known as the Prophets. That's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. 
they handed him the scroll from Isaiah the prophet. That was the component of synagogue worship that Jesus was engaging in. And following the readings from those two particular sections, there was an explanation of the text which also helps us to understand what happens when Jesus sits down after reading the passage and the eyes of the entire congregation were fixed upon him. The people were used to the one who read to provide an explanation. And so they awaited Jesus to give them an explanation of the passage, which happened to be Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And then after the explanation, there would be a benediction, another prayer, and the synagogue service would be ended. On this occasion, when Jesus has the opportunity to read to them from the scroll of Isaiah, he selects the passage in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, which does indeed talk about the ministry of the Messiah. Now we know that this is the ministry of the Messiah because of the way that verse 18 begins. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. The idea of being the anointed one is the idea of being the, the Messiah. The idea of being the Messiah is the idea of being the Christ. When Jesus reads from this passage, He isn't merely talking about the Messiah who is to come because He very clearly and very forcefully applies the text to Himself when He says in verse 21, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the anointed one is here. The one upon whom is the Spirit of God is among you. Jesus claims in this text to be the very one that Isaiah the prophet looked forward to. He is indeed the Christ. And what he does by reading this passage of Scripture is to announce even in his hometown the mission that he will involve himself in. And I want you to look at some of the details of this mission that he gives us in verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. Now Jesus isn't merely claiming to have the Spirit of God upon him. If you have gone this far in Luke in your reading, you realize that the Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22 that the Holy Spirit did come upon Jesus at His baptism. In verse 22 of that text, the Bible says, The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And so when Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He is declaring what has indeed taken place. And not just something that he can claim that no one can verify, because Luke 22 says the Spirit descended in bodily form, in a dove. Something that others could see. Something that others could be sure of. And so he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and that has qualified him to preach the gospel to the poor. And of course, Jesus goes about sharing the gospel message all around in various places, in various ways. He does not just preach to those who have means, he preaches to those who do not have means. He is willing to share the gospel with all. 
But he's not just preaching the gospel to the poor. He is also, according to this passage, proclaiming liberty to the captives. Now we might stop at this juncture and ask, what does that mean? How does Jesus proclaim liberty to the captives? And we could answer that in reality, he does that in two ways. There is obviously a sense in which he is proclaiming liberty to those who are captive to sin. Romans chapter 6 talks about that, that you are slaves to the one to whom you present yourself, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You have the opportunity to be freed from the bondage of sin because of Jesus. But you could also take this text very literally. As a matter of fact, if you go just a little bit further in chapter 4, you find that in verse 35, Jesus is rebuking an evil spirit who has an individual in a way of putting it, in captivity. The text says, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had come out of him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And so we have Jesus fulfilling his mission. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to provide recovery of sight to the blind. There are various instances in the ministry of Jesus in which he has said to have healed those who could not see. That too can be taken both literally and figuratively. In chapter 7 of Luke's account in verses 21 and 22, we find Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. The text says that hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So yes, Jesus was indeed able because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor and to proclaim liberty to the captives and to give recovery of sight to the blind and even to go so far as to proclaim, as the text tells us, the acceptable year of the Lord. When he announces himself as the fulfillment of this prophecy, he does this very thing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The individuals who were gathered upon this occasion would know and could know that Jesus indeed was the very one that Isaiah was talking about. And the signs that Jesus performed confirmed that fact to them. Who else could give liberty to those who were captive? Who else could open the eyes of the blind? Who else could then say, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your presence? Only Jesus. Only the Savior. Only the Son of God. And so we see in this passage the announcement of Jesus' mission. But there is a detail that's important about the passage. If you go back into verse 16, the text describes him coming to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Why does it mention that? We know from other sections of Scripture that Jesus is from Nazareth. Why does Luke stress that point? Primarily to prepare the reader for the reaction of the crowd. Continue reading Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. 
So all bore witness to him, that is, all those present in the synagogue, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. In other words, they could not believe that Jesus was able to speak with such grace, with such power, with such authority. Why? Well, because, the text goes on to say, they said, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, we know him. He's the boy from down the street. He's the carpenter's son. The words that he's speaking are words claiming to be the Messiah. There's no way that he could be the Messiah. There's no way that he could be the one that Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 is looking toward. He is saying that he has the Spirit of God upon him. That he is the one who can proclaim liberty to those who are captive. That he is the one who can open the eyes of the blind. That he is the one who can say today is the acceptable year of the Lord. How can he say that? He's just the carpenter's son. Now, in response to their thoughts, Jesus said this in verse 23. You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you've done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. In other words, if you really are the Son of God, prove it. We know who you are. You're the carpenter's boy. We're not quite so sure that you are indeed the Son of God. And he said, assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and to none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And Jesus, of course, is anticipating the demands that the people are going to make of him. Prove that you are who you claim to be. And you probably know that throughout his ministry, it is not unusual for individuals to make those kinds of demands. As a matter of fact, later on in Luke's account, we find something similar taking place. Over in Luke chapter 11 and verse 29. The text reveals that a crowd had gathered around Jesus. And verse 29 says, While the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites so also the son of man will be to this generation there would be a sense in which Jesus would indeed give them a sign that sign would come when he broke forth from the tomb on the third day just like Jonah broke forth from the fish's mouth on the third day but they wanted instant gratification. They wanted an instant sign. And instead of providing them with the documentation that they sought, Jesus did something that challenged them even further. He began to describe two instances in which God dealt favorably with the Gentiles. 
that is something that would have incited the people of Nazareth. But it also fits Luke's narrative that the gospel is for all. He referenced the widow of Zarephath who had cared for Elijah the prophet and in turn was cared for by God. And he referenced Naaman the Syrian, the commander of the army, a leper who was provided for, who was cared for by Elisha the prophet. Upon hearing what Jesus had to say, the people of Nazareth were outraged. And so in verse 28, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then he, passing through the midst of them, went on his way. What happened? These people recognized that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. And their reaction to his making that claim was basically this. If you can't prove this to us by doing the things that the Messiah is supposed to do, we're going to take your life. That's a common reaction in Scripture. When Jesus claimed to be the great I am in John the 8th chapter, they took up stones to stone him. No less than the reaction that we find here in Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. Unless you prove your claims, we're going to get rid of you. Added to his claim to be the Messiah is the claim that God deals favorably with the Gentiles. That was too much for their Jewish ears. How could that be true? And so instead of listening to Jesus and learning from him, they sought to eliminate him. But what the text goes on to show us is truly encouraging. Because Jesus did not allow the difficulties that they placed before him, the resistance to keep him from performing his mission. And so the remainder of Luke chapter 4 goes on to actually show us that Jesus is who he claimed to be. For example, verse 31, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. You have a similar reaction from the people of Nazareth, but instead of continuing in their astonishment and acknowledging the authority of Christ, the people of Nazareth conclude he can't be who he sounds like because he's the boy from down the street. Not so in Capernaum. In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you not come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And we read the words of the demon and we are reminded, of course, of James' statement that even the demons believe and tremble. And Jesus on this occasion rebukes him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had been thrown into their midst, it came out and did not hurt him. And they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this! 
For with authority and power, He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out of Him. And the report about Him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And no doubt the people said something like this. This is a man who can set at liberty those who are captive. Jesus, who's able to perform His mission. Jesus, the one who accomplished His will. But He doesn't just preach the gospel to them. He doesn't just set at liberty those who were captive. He heals the sick. Verse 38, he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. Jesus has the ability to set at liberty those who are captive. He has the ability to heal those who are sick. And he has the ability to heal individuals who are facing various ailments. In verse 40 of the passage, the Bible says, When the sun was setting, all those who that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on them, and every one of them was healed. And demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. The passage in Isaiah 61 that talks about Jesus being anointed to preach the gospel of the poor, being the one upon whom the Spirit of God has come, is a passage that affirms Him to be the Christ. It sets forth His mission. And Jesus does not allow the resistance of man to keep Him from doing what He came to the earth to do. He preached the gospel. He helped those who could not help themselves. He provides liberty to those who are captive. The chapter ends, verses 42 and following. When it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. That last statement in verse 43 stands out, doesn't it? For this purpose I have been sent. The Son of God understood his mission. He understood why he came to this earth. And he intended to use every ounce of his ability to accomplish his purpose. I would to God that you and I would do the same. That we would understand our purpose as individual Christians. That we would understand our purpose as a congregation. And that we would with one mouth and one heart glorify our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be able to overcome the resistance of the devil and the resistance of men to be able to share the saving gospel message with those around us. What a blessing it is for us to be able to listen to the Lord about His mission. To understand that Jesus did indeed have a purpose and to be thrilled knowing that He fulfilled, that He accomplished what He came to this earth to do.